Chapter 26. Seal a Deal. Thing was sent free after hours. Wednesday and Enid had fixed their clothes and other belongings. It was mostly the raven as the she-wolf kept on being called by her sibling, James specifically. He's better than the rest, a little mouthful but still better. Shame was an understatement as to how Enid expressed the aftermath of their first shared meal. Wednesday had expected the worst from them and they could evidently go even lower. The raven assured Enid that it doesn't affect the blonde's image, not even a speck. If anything, the urge to get Enid out of this messy family of hers only became stronger. Wednesday made sure everything was set before she gathered a few clothes and entered the bathroom to fill the tub with warm water. It will take a few minutes to fill so she went out, hugging Enid laying on the mattress. Do you want to bathe first? She steers the sleepy blonde awake. You'll ruin your body clock if you sleep this early, loose MIA. I do not wish to see you struggling to rest in the dead of the night. Enid softly opens her eyes, scooping the raven into the bed with her. The tips of her nose was rosy, her eyes growing puffier from crying. You go first. I'll follow after you, Enid sleepily mumbles. Their snuggle didn't last long, as Wednesday predicted the tub is half full. I won't take long. She promised. She didn't make it as warm as she does with Enid's. The temperature was just enough not to cause her hypothermia. The brunette carefully discarded her clothes. Her tightened muscles relaxed under the water, her mind contrasting with how tense it continued to think. She could go to New Jersey with Enid for a few days after they successfully attain a doctor for Murray. That would put the blonde at ease and Wednesday could ask Abuela what potions may work to abate the pain of Murray's heart. Morticia and Gomez have already replaced her search by reading books in the library. They helped her clear other techniques she is planning to use to summon Goody by doing their evaluation, although their chance of being prosperous is a portion too little to smile for. She just hopes her Morticia could have a vision of their success to increase optimism. Unfortunately, there isn't anything new. A large bubble swam near, Wednesday adjusted to submerge the whole of her hair in the water, her lungs protesting when she involuntarily inhales as her head shoots back. A vision? She opened her eyes, the sting of the salty waters forcing her to shut it close. The deep dark blue was certainly not the color of the tub's water. And there was a hold on her hair that was unyielding on her attempts of removing. She was drugged, Wednesday knows the side effects of it too much, her movements almost inert, her mind hazy, it was only her body responding to fight because it couldn't breathe. She fought not just for the person, but also the brutal waves. And she prevailed four seconds she was free, she was up on the surface, relieved by the taste of the wind, above her was Helen. Then she was shoved back into the water. Oliver. She was in Oliver's vision. Oliver was a siren.
A panicked gasp made her eat a lungful of liquid. Why couldn't she breathe? Was it part of whatever drug she took? Her leg remains human, with no fins, no tail, she heard a melody, a hum, a deep octave of hum. It was from a man. It was unclear if it came from under the water or above. It was so clear, as if it was uttered in proximity. He asked for it, Helen, you must follow what he asks you for. Kill him. The last two lines were loud, and it was enticing, it was the only phrase that rang in both of their ears. And it hits Wednesday that Oliver wasn't a siren. She felt no necklace, she saw no necklace, Oliver has no endurance to the song, Helen, Helen has been tasked to do it by another. The darkness fully seeped. The receding waves become calmer below. The feeling of burning sinuses was starting to become numb. It should have been beyond her comprehension to hear, but she manages to. Yes, Paul. 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 Wednesday violently coughs. Her head was turned sideways as she vomited. Her body curled in and a robe was draped on her naked figure. I've got you, I've got you. Oh, oh God. I. I thought you. Enid. Wednesday trembles, the pain in her nose, chest, and throat making her groan. She blinks rapidly, how long was that? Why is she on the floor? Are you okay? I should have come sooner you could have, Wens. Look at me baby, come on. Tell me you're fine, speak to me. Paul. She croaks out. Paul, what? Enid carefully sat her up. Paul existed in the same timeline as Helen. Enid blinks once. Nodding. Yeah, ah, uh, yes, that's, are you okay though? You almost drowned, we are not talking about your vision right now. Can you feel your ribs? I might have broken one or two. Enid easily guided her to stand, taking her weight as her legs shook. Let's get you out, it's freezing, shit, you're not taking a bath without me from now on. What if you've suddenly slipped? You could hit your head. And if I didn't come on time? I'm all right, Wednesday planted both of her feet on the tiles. The rattle in her lungs was still painful. Enid, I'm all right. The blonde collected her clothes, setting her on the side of the bed not caring that Wednesday wasn't fully dry. I'm not confident if it was the same Paul that Eleanor married, but Helen called Paul. My last vision of Helen was her looking past my shoulder and I thought. I thought she was just out of it. What if she was looking at Paul at that moment? But why would Paul ask that? He said it was what Oliver wanted and that was what Helen said too. The nervousness in the blonde was perceptible with the shaking hands as she dabs a towel on Wednesday's damp skin. Enid, don't you think if Paul and Helen existed with the same timeline, it would be easier to connect the reasons for their candle? The four of them know each other. We should call mother to confirm. Later. Enid drops the extra towel on the ground. 
flexing with her foot to wipe the floor. Then she whirled and Wednesday clasped her hand to prevent her. Enid, the raven tries to convince. You almost drowned. Enid prodded. If it is easy for you to dust, it is not for me. Wednesday waited patiently for her fiancé to cool off. The door of the bathroom was left open for Wednesday as a salient iris rested on the blonde that is now cleaning up her mess. The raven dressed herself as she endured the silence. The adrenaline started wearing off of her in the process. It must have worn off for Enid as soon as Wednesday coughs awake and it made her stomach churns in remorse. Enid had just known about her father's condition and was pounded by another source of fear. I'm finished. What were you saying? Enid closes the bathroom door. The shortest shower time she had ever taken, as Wednesday recollects. Am I forgiven? Wednesday tiredly buries her face as she leans toward Enid. I didn't mean to disregard what you felt. I'm sorry. I'm just glad I pulled you out on time. The blonde sighs. I'm hearing you now. Are you too mad a while ago not to listen to everything I've spilled, or can I proceed with telling you my plan? Of course, I listened. And I was saying. You were saying. Oliver wasn't the siren, Paul was. So you've been wanting to ask your parents if Eleanor and Helen were alive in the same era to know if the Paul that Helen mentioned was Eleanor's Paul. Wow, that was a bit of a tongue twister. Wednesday smiled. You are a genius. Enid humbly brushes the compliment. What's the plan? First, seal a deal. Esther fixed her cardigan and quietly sat alone with the raven. She stares in the distance as she pulls out a cigarette. The end hangs on her pressed lips, and she digs into every pocket until Wednesday offers a lighter. You smoke. I do commit arson. Esther laughs for the first time. You are very odd. So are you. It was a quiet afternoon, and only the two of them were sitting at the table that hours ago was a pure mess. Why hide it? Wednesday contemplated if she asked way too straight to the point. Pardon. You must require time. The blizzard knocks into every triple pane. The cement outside sleet in snow. Enid is with Murray. The brunette excused Esther not just for the father and daughter to have a conversation, but to solve the missing piece of how relevant Murray's disease might be. Laws? Pack laws. Wednesday held on to the same monotonous voice. What are the laws? Keeping sickness. No. That's not it, the news, it cannot spread. I have worked for decades for us Sinclairs to lead the packs in California. Weston's family is not yet stable, we cannot have an heir of such. And Weston has to be our heir. The law states the oldest. His wife is pregnant for only four and a half months, and his infidelity is nothing we can control. He cannot lead when the majority will hate him. 
he is mated with one of the families that are yet our strongest competitor for the rank. What do you think would happen if they knew? It isn't unexpected when you do not marry for love, Wednesday remembered James' words. Is he still with another woman? Yes, we are planning to convince him to stop. He was always abroad and we used Enid, who he had been meaning to see for a while to go here. It worked. It was also less suspicious if we tried to talk to him. We didn't know about Weston's doing as well, his wife only reached us on call to tell us her scepticism. That was the first cause of Murray's heart failing. It must have taken him aback to hear the truth come by James himself now to have another attack. Do you know the other woman? Esther mumbles a no. The air grew thicker, and they were barely halfway through the discussion before the smoke died in the ashtray and a new one was shakily lit. How many houses do you own? The raven gave a stoic expression that was taken as a seriousness as Esther appears confused by her question. Three. One in San Francisco, where we mostly stay. We recently purchased another in Los Angeles when one land had been open for bidding. And then here, at North Lake Tahoe, we only visit during winter. This was the best location for having both scenery and snow in California, we had this for five years. They have chosen the nearest in San Francisco speculatively. It was approximately only a three-hour ride. Cold weather can affect Murray's heart. He must not be here. Esther Holy paused. The agitation comes back as she stutters. W we didn't know. Stay in San Francisco. It is still cold, but there is no winter, only rain. Unless this year too the infrequent visit of snow comes. It is still less in percentage and cold, and why, you could have gotten a private doctor for him and you didn't. She accuses. The severity of the issue weighed down when Wednesday realized what causes Abuela's potion not to work earlier. It was Murray's second and it wouldn't work as numerously as they wished. Adams's are not corpse healers. Frump had it fermented exclusively for the Adams only. Each of her potions holds limits and side effects. Murray had died twice and that is the limit. The third time his heart fails Wednesday can no longer help. We cannot risk a private doctor. The money the doctor will get if he or she outed us is greater than the money we can offer. It's the whole pack in California we are talking about. Politics, Wednesday. You know how it is to work with them. An eager family wanting to rise in the hierarchy. If other wolves still vote for us to remain on top we can get hunted by others to take down since the head is sick. Murray. Murray is sick. Wednesday ignored the silent cry. Plotting in her mind what she can do to help. I'll assign him a private doctor. One from my family so do not be worried about the news flying around. We bore a strong oath of loyalty in keeping promises. Tomorrow then we move to San Francisco, Enid and I will stay with you.
Enid will not leave Murray's side, Wednesday is convinced. The blonde cares deeply for the people she treasures. But you must assent that I am to tell my family about this matter, because they are the ones to link me with our greatest cardiologist, and my grandmother can also provide potions that might help. You do anything. Esther pleads. Holding Wednesday's hand, as if she was a vessel of a saint. Whatever helps Murray. We know it isn't curable, but whatever helps him will do. He has to live longer. Wednesday didn't pull her hands away from the touch. I'm not doing this deal one-sided. She spoke. Gomez and Morticia have taught her not to be a mere giver. What is it in for you? I want an answer other than yes once I say it. Esther would have kneeled if it wasn't for the persistent hold she has on Wednesday. Yes, yes, anything. Just prolong Murray's life long enough. I'll deal with Weston, give me time to fix him. Please, you've done enough for our family, just this once help me again. Pull Enid out of your pack. The hold loosened and Wednesday stood up fixing her sleeves. What? I want Enid out of your pack. Esther also stood up. But you've heard it. The only reason we searched for someone to marry her is to make her stay here. Murray will be devastated if he knew. You think you knew before him? Wednesday tilted her head. Enid has been talking to him longer than we do as of now. Esther's mouth sags open. Enid wanted to switch packs. I thought it was your. It is more questionable if she insists on staying here. Wednesday deadpans. I asked for her consent before the plan, and I have contacted Tio Theodore to settle everything to have her transferred. I have to know if Murray agreed. He might, he might not like it, he should not be stressed. It could trigger his heart. If your sole concern is your husband. He is my sole concern. Esther closes her eyes, subsiding her outburst. You should know by now how much I meant you can have Enid and do whatever you want. Eventually, it fails as she sees the disappointment in the raven. The offensiveness taking over. Murray cares about Enid and I care about our status in this pack. She tainted our reputation with her label as a potential lone wolf. Ever since she turned a teen, with no hopes of shifting I have dealt with so much lash to keep everything balanced for us. We could have lost all of this by keeping her. Generations per generation, Sinclairs have significantly climbed a steep lever, and when we were there I just... I had her. An undesirable existence in werewolf society. I had the perfect lineup of children until she. Careful with your words. You're talking about my woman. Wednesday presses the tip of the silver knife at Esther's hand on the table. The flesh burned like the ember of a cigarette. The howl of pain tried to be muffled as Esther sank back into the chair. Wednesday hovered above and made the weight of her arm fall on the handle to penetrate deeper. Your authority from her in every aspect will be removed, that is the deal. 
Are we clear on that? Esther swallows, droplets of sweat falling on her temples. I've never seen someone sweat in the winter. What do you think you're doing? Esther gritted her teeth. What you should be concerned about is repeating after me. The sharpness has struck the wood. More than half of the knife made Esther's right hand one with the table. I am doing you a favor after all. Wednesday firmly catches Esther's left and pulls another silver bracelet, the beads trap in the middle of their intertwined hands. Esther yelped in pain and Wednesday relished the struggle. Now, say this, I consent. Stop, Adams. For Enid Sinclair's departure from the pack. Wednesday continues. Blood drips down from the floor, it's only a matter of time before the others get to smell it. I said stop. I will let her go, just stop this. Wednesday made the knife sink fully till it trapped Esther's hand. I see consent, for, for Enid S. Sinclair's departure from our pack. Esther finally mimics. And have the authority over her end. And have the authority over her e-end. Wednesday slowly withdrew, prolonging the pain. And when she hears incoming steps she held both Esther's hands and sealed the words as the chant stitches. The wounds. Using the same method that she did to close Enid's wound at her proposal. Leaving no trace. The blood remained on the floor and the table. Dripping and stinking. Clean it up. Chapter 27, Every Facet, Strings Uniquely. The five of them siblings took awkward turns. James and Enid have been checking on Murray repeatedly after lunch. During the first two visits of them he was still unconscious. The third time they were able to ask him about his symptoms, albeit, his words are threaded manually by them to understand. By the fourth, he was fully thankfully cognizant. Only then the paranoia the members were silently coated with had been hanged away. Ralph was always accompanied by Matea, it was only Weston who did it alone, well, not totally alone, Esther was sitting next to Murray the whole duration. Their cycle was gnawing. As if they were playing an awful multiplayer game. Switching teams one after another. Enid comes back for the fifth time to the chamber, as Wednesday told her about her plan. Weston was guarding the hallway, an unaccustomed exchange of probing glances, as Enid passed by without a word. Her short heels noted her presence in the room. Murray taps the empty spot that Esther has occupied, coaxing Enid to inhabit it. Her mother has been excused by Wednesday in the hopes of talking about her shifting packs. Enid is wishing it will go well, but she never doubted the capability of the raven in convincing. To her part, Murray only had a ruefulness when she told him about transferring. She expected to justify her decision. Have a bit of a hard time making him agree. All of it proceeded to be the total opposite. You may do whatever you want, Murray sat properly and inclined himself by the pillows. 
wary with his words as he slowly continued. I expected you to do it after your success with breaking the label of a lone wolf. I didn't know how you even endured the bide for so long, but I'm glad you finally decided for yourself. You long expected me not to stay in the pack. Enid adjusted by moving near Murray when he stretched his arms. You should be with those who make you feel you belong to them. If the Adams treated you better I have no objection. I am aware that wasn't the case for the years you spent with us here. Belong? Right? How could Enid feel that when she, herself was anticipating to be out just like the others? How did you do it? Murray tucks a strand on her ear. What was the reason you've shifted? Enid reminisces about the trepidation she felt that night. How the pristine white flakes tasted iron in her mercy. In all honesty, shifting didn't feel like the main thing her mind wired her to focus on, it was only a part of her main goal. I think you should ask who. Confusion colored his face. Reenacting a yacht floating to vastness, before a celebratory smile, at a leisurely pace bloomed when he descended into the shallow seabed of realization. He was proud and almost, nearly, teary. You found your mate. His reaction was understandable, it was rare for them to do so with billions of life existing. It is the other way. She shares. Wednesday found me, Dad. She saw me in her vision, and her timing stood to be impeccable since I was looking for someone to marry. His smile thawed by degrees. Still, having a sympathetic glow. You must have been terrified being forced into matrimony. I was. There's no point in denying it. Thankfully, it wasn't with some guy Ralph proposed. She shudders unnoticed yet Murray clenches his jaw at the mention. Do not listen to him. He won't get away with what he said without punishment. I will be deciding what to do, for now. I will hold his cards so he'll spend most of his time with us and not waste it with bars and his chicks. He has to learn to be accountable for his actions and words. Don't do too much, he's the type to hold grudges. Enid bitterly remembers every memory she shared with him. Small useless fights are turned into something more due to his attitude. I think he already held one. That doesn't matter. There should be no excuses for discipline. There was a beat of pause. The two of them began pondering. So, she's a dove. Raven. Enid corrected. Knowing he's talking about Wednesday. There wasn't prejudice in the twitch of his brows with the given information. Ravens are very few in the outcast community. Murray reflected. Life in every facet, strings uniquely to you. I'm not sure if I am grateful for that, Enid said with a hint of petulance. Unique for not shifting early. For not being in control of most of her decisions. For having a curse embedded in her with no clue of breaking. 
Plus, it took her two decades and an advisor dressed in a goth to convince her that she was her own person that needs to hear her selfish urges. Enid shakes the pessimistic convictions. There's nothing she can achieve carrying those along with her. Wednesday's talking with mom. She's the best that can get us help. She manages to easily capture Esther. That might not be the case for some of you brothers, but if you should know. Your mate doesn't require a gender or a specific species. Your love is blinded by adoration and devotion, it doesn't see, it only feels. Enid has grown enough to only hope they become better than actually getting affected. Whatever her brothers say about her and Wednesday, nothing will change. A knock followed by a familiar slicked-back greyish hair slipping in the scarcely opened door had the both of them stopping. Enid. Her brother fully tumbles in, highly strung. Weston. Are you done talking with Dad? Murray rubs Enid's arms. Mouthing her to go. She reluctantly agreed, not wanting to upset her dad by not complying. Can we talk? If you're going to convince me I'm sinning you should fix your infidelity first. Weston blocked Enid's path. She wasn't fully in the mood to engage, and he seems to know. I wouldn't take long. I don't have time for your lecture. I'm not going to lecture you. I want to say sorry, okay. I'm sorry for what I said to you and Wednesday. He was sincere, but that couldn't make it all up. You're not yet forgiven. I didn't expect it to be that easy. He accepted defeat. I just don't want our bond to break with you over some relationship pairings that I have barely encountered and accepted. The blonde crosses her arms, a frown shading darkly on her features. Barely encountered and accepted. You think it's some kind of adaptation. Adapt, you know that's not what I meant. Enid swatted his hand that reached out. I want to try to let her in the family. Wednesday helped Dad and I didn't mean to overhear, but you said she was your mate. She's all I have included in every prayer I have for you because I don't want you to be a recluse. You can't force yourself to like somebody you don't. You can't even do that with your wife, you think you can do it for Wednesday. Weston brings himself to check if anyone's with them before dragging Enid to James' empty room across Murray's. What are you trying to say? I now lost the capability to do something morally right. If the shoe fits, Enid sarcastically utters. Look, I appreciate what you're trying, Weston. I really do. However, you sound ambitious. Not only did you try to question and discriminate against my sexuality, but you're also cheating with your family. I was forced like you are into marriage, Enid. Unlike you, I didn't miraculously get a match with my mate. He swings both of his arms down, palms open. And? I'm supposed to take pity on you from that. Wash your feet to cleanse my guilt for telling you how shitty your actions are because it's rooted in some intractable chapter you had in your life. 
He scoffed. You don't know how it is to look at the face of what you consider a stranger in your bed every morning with nothing circling your stomach like how in love people should be. I don't like Trixie. I never fucking did. I can't even have the same option that you could have had with Wednesday, a friendship, an allowed fling with the others, my relationship with Trix was never desired by me. Enid frustratedly buried her face in her palms as she internally screamed, gradually losing her stored patience. That couldn't justify what you did, Weston. You already have a child. A child. Why would you behave as a father you wouldn't wish to have? He falters, breathing heavily as he turns to his back. Enid didn't feel any compassion for his deceit. But she knew him too well to know how he carried the burden birthed along with him. Weston was supposed to be the golden child. The perfect prototype to replicate. He was what their parents pressured them to be. The two of them were controlled, but as Enid tries to scroll on more pictures of his situation, she had the better consequence of detaching herself from the puppeteer. Weston has a whole responsibility to let go, Enid only had her young soul wanting to achieve recognition. Weston, it is too late for you to run away. True, James interjected, leaning at the frame of his door. Enid hurt her neck from the sudden rotation. But I cut off his connections with his other woman. He asked me to do it in all social media applications, that's how I figured. Since when were you fucking there, James? You should lower your voices, they'd probably be back upstairs. Enid locks the knob as he enters. Who? A little story time, so you'll understand the context. Mateo and I were chopping wood outside. Ralph helped in collecting, he was distant. I think he was highly aware I'm swinging that axe on him if he doesn't move away from me. That's an unnecessary detail. It is. So then there's this puny smell of blood. We all rushed inside and we found mom clutching her hand with a tissue paper, blooded cutlery knife on the counter, and a chopping board of meat. Wednesday was giving her tissues and your bitch of a brother Ralph keeps on blaming Wednesday that she must have done something. Mom got enough of his shit he was slapped. Oh. James clicks her tongue. I left with Mateo when mom started calling out Ralph's behavior at lunch. I don't want to get involved. She'll probably say something. About me not handling my anger as well, uh, my ears might snap in the itch. But hey. A punch and a slap in one day. He's making a record for himself. Did he do something to Wednesday? James hops in his bed, moaning as he extends his limbs. He said some things, she's very good at answering back. Enid hid a smile, there isn't so much to worry about her fiancé. What are you two doing in my room anyway? I wanted to talk to Enid. Weston finally spoke again. Now occupying James' gaming chair. Have you quit being a bigot? 
I wanted to quit acting like the brother I'm not supposed to be, James. The two of you are precious to me. Yeah, you did quit being a bigot, want a hug. Weston threw a game controller in James' direction. Ouch. But what's next? Acting like a loyal husband. I don't like Trixie. Then why bear a child with her? Enid rested her back on the wall. Your conditions with her should have been clear from the start. You think I've done that with free will? One morning she just came up to me and told me something happened the night we were drunk. I didn't even remember it happening. We never do it and I told her before that I'm seeing someone else. Oh shit. She knew too. Weston. Enid stood straight. You don't remember it happening. He shakes his head. His temper rose as he rolled his eyes back. It happened anyway. James dismissed. It was said minutes ago, but I will say it again. It's too late to run away, Weston. Own it up before they pass to you the packs of California. I wish that was that easy. A faint cacophony reverberated by the floor. Enid had decided to go. I'll check on them. She doesn't look back as she shuts the door close, eyes reddening at the sight of Ralph. He walked towards her with his eyes besmeared in yellow. His canines are out, not intending to inflict physical harm, but as an emotional taunt. Wednesday would look like a perfect display at the house, what do you say? Your horns are much bigger and longer than the displayed elephant tusk, brother. I believe even Mom now agrees on that. The resentment dissipated at a familiar figure. Wednesday appeared, unbothered by Enid's brother, gaze stone to the blonde as she nonchalantly ambled. I am making dinner with Esther, you should join us. Enid's claws retracted as Wednesday held her hand, relieving the strain on her muscle. Speaking of the devil, Ralph with his bruised pride spoke. Evil spirits can really be summoned. You're here so I reckon that answers it. You're counted too, Adams. I'm not stupid. Do you think I didn't know you'd done something? I know a lie when I smell one. Wednesday batted a judgmental whole-body scrutinization. How peculiar. You should reconsider becoming a police dog. Ralph aimed to pounce before a door opened. Murray produced a low growl, approaching with steady steps. We have a lot to talk about, Ralph. Why don't we go inside the room? For what? He defensively says. I didn't do anything wrong. Why is everyone teaming up on me? Enid hardly kept her impassiveness. Playing the victim. That's not so unexpected of you. The hallway had found its lost tranquility as Murray dragged him by his collar, leaving Wednesday and Enid behind. Did mom agree? Enid inquired. She thinks she had gotten immunity by moving on as quickly compared to her past self. Dad took it great. 
he didn't even question. Wednesday hums in approval. That's wonderful. Esther did too. She has a lot of questions, none of which I wasn't able to answer. Although I'm quite worried about us going back to your hometown. Why? The raven became tense under her touch. I'm thinking it might be there. There wasn't snow, Enid. Might be there because of no snow. What do you mean? If you're talking about winter in San Francisco, I never experienced snow there ever since I was a child. Her thumb brushes the freckles scattered. Attentive to her voice not chiming with worry that Wednesday might shut her off again. What's wrong? Do you want to move to New Jersey with me after I've had everything handled for your father? Enid tried to rack bases for the suggestions. M moved to New Jersey. At the manor. Yes. Why? I think it's in San Francisco, Enid. My first vision there was no snow, Wednesday repeated. Her glabella creasing. The forest was muddy and you, you look exactly like this. Same age, young. Too young. Perhaps it wasn't bound to happen in upcoming years. You think it's near and in San Francisco? Wednesday didn't speak, but it was blatant that Enid had gotten it right. Wednesday. Please? Move with me, loose MIA, Wednesday presses herself with the blonde. I'm inheriting everything. I can provide you with a stable life. M.I. Muja, poor favor, I. Enid shushed the raven. Fast with saying, you don't have to offer me all that. She knows she'll follow even if Wednesday has nothing extravagant to give. You don't have to. Enid swayed the hair on the brunette's forehead to land a long cordial kiss in the middle. Her heart sings in calliope, love. If you think that would help, I'm in. I'll move with you to New Jersey. That's not a hard decision to make, Wens. I have already named the manor my home. Chapter 28, Fangs and Flesh Weekly visits are reasonable. I'd keep in contact for updates. Thank you, Wednesday has signed the contract of Murray's personal doctor, exchanging a few benefits to make the agreement fair. Gomez and Morticia made the persuasion role effective as they flew personally from New Jersey to Orlando for Jeremy Adams, second cousin of Gomez, and rested only for a few hours before taking another flight to San Francisco. Enid and Wednesday stayed at North Lake Tahoe for two days before they traveled as soon as they heard the news that the doctor had agreed on the terms. Staying at the Sinclair mansion instead of their own. Abuela had suggested we bring these to you. Gomez walked over to Murray and Esther. Wednesday would be fetching more once they come back to New Jersey. These are the only stocks. Three vials of purple potion lay next to each other in an old open suitcase. Each had bubbles that mimic sparkly water. We'll be making you a sufficient quantity. Frump, 
Our families, which is into making tremendous bombs that she has been getting behind in medical potions. She is more than willing to come back to it. Wednesday is aware it is quite hard for them to get 10 fresh hearts from corpses that have only been dead for a week, which was Abuela's main ingredient. Fester had assured her he'll be able to get it done. Everyone she contacted had been willingly giving her help. Esther purses her lips. Appreciation overflowed within her as she clasped her hand, nodding rather vigorously. Thank you. Thank you so much. We will forever be in debt. Your rooms are prepared for a stay. There won't be a need for that. Gomez discloses. We will be staying on Wednesday and Enid's mansion, as we also wish to see it. Your hospitality and offer are appreciated. Morticia locks the suitcase and elegantly handles it. About the potion, if Murray's heart starts aching in which he cannot bear, only then he shall consume two drops. No more and less than that. If he can bear it I suggest that you contact Jeremy here with us. The potion is only for emergency relief, brewed to be stronger and more effective than today's medicine. Just like any other medication, too much of it would be harmful, and too little of it would cause no effect. Always be exact. Esther rubbed both of her hands, caressing the material with cautiousness. I'll make sure to make a memo of that. Jeremy, Gomez gestured. Is there more that you could add? Jeremy averted his gaze to look at Enid's brothers before shaking his head. Nothing more than the reminder that do not cause extra trouble. Don't worry. They are only four. Mateo glares on Wednesday. The hatred they had for each other hasn't been tried to be covered in obliviousness. Are you signifying we are the trouble? That is not a question. Enid blocks her brothers by standing on the side where Wednesday's head is turned. Sir, can you please continue? Jeremy hummed. The first two are all stimulated by a spike of overwhelming stress, which indicates that his third wouldn't be far from being triggered by the same reason. I'm not saying less stress equates to having a lower likelihood his heart will fail as there are a lot of factors to consider. It is, however, one of the main factors that I highly recommend to preclude. I'll be jotting down specific suggestions and advice, as well as having them labelled in a uniform format. Wednesday shall have the document sent to your email tonight. What can you say Wednesday? Would that be doable? I'll do it as soon as we get home. Esther gleams in delight. Standing in her seat. I cannot express how this helped us extensively. Please, whatever you need from us we'll do our best to make it. The deal I have sealed is enough. Wednesday sensed everyone's eyes, specifically the four brothers. What deal? Questioned James. Enid will be shifting to our pack, Esther and Murray had agreed. The display of objections and disapproval is soon harmonized. The room was filled by inquiries shut down by Morticia and Gomez. 
If Enid leaves the pack before I had my name transferred after my father's reign, we will be talked about with vicious rumors. Weston starts. I hate to be the bearer of such a personal accomplishment announcement, but you, Weston Sinclair, will be assigned this week. Murray gave a curt nod as Gomez turned to him, confirming what he said. Your wife Trixie is more than enthusiastic for the two of you to have it earlier. Jeremy visited her a while ago and ascertained her healthy pregnancy. Your inheritor is secured. James remained quiet with a dejected frown. Aren't the Adams Pack banned from other countries? Useless concern, we've been travelling back and forth all around the world without a problem. Gomez refutes. Mateo went after, then what about the controversial leading of Theodore Adams in New Jersey? Oh darling, the debate was sparked only because he was the first to lead two states including Hawaii. Morticia waved. We could pass Enid the New Jersey if she would prefer it. Their statements don't matter, we've had countries under our name outside the United States. Theodore is going to take over Massachusetts too. Are you planning to take over everywhere now? Mateo scoffs. Massachusetts has long been ruled by one family. And so did California before you Sinclair's had it. Gomez crossed his leg before smiling. Asserting a passive-aggressive behavior. Wednesday mentioned you're an aspiring architect. The four of you are rather interesting. You're still greedy enough to want more than one state and counters of packs by yourselves. And so what about my course? It doesn't have anything to do with this. Mom, you heard them say they are doing illegal and illicit actions by the customs. You can't let Enid transfer. I wasn't informed that having your plates done by someone for payment of $100 each is less illegal. Mateo turned pale. Wednesday's interest peaked for the first time since the argument. Shaking his head, he refused to confess. I am not. How do you even know the students on our campus? What a creep. Are you stalking us? Wednesday smirked as she enjoyed the off exhibit of frustration, deciding to play along. How many times have you partied with Ralph as someone diligently made your plates? Dude, did you snitch on me? Ralph pushed him away as he angrily snarled. You idiot. Ah? Uh, ah? Uh, stop. Gomez silenced them. No fighting, we don't want Murray stressing and unhealthy. Wednesday and I didn't stalk any of you, it was just what I used to do in college. My little storm cloud and I are merely teasing you. It's the oldest trick of a book to entice someone with it. How effective and true it is. We'll be talking later, Mateo. Esther disappointedly says. And you, Ralph. Why am I included again? Esther contemptuously lowered. Don't lie to me. Both of your accounts have consistently been declining with your spending. I've been vilified since Wednesday was introduced to our house.
That didn't used to be a big deal. He complains. Every single of my actions and words is now judged. Don't even get me started on how open they are with committing corruption and you're purely trusting them. You see this, Weston. You're being brainwashed too with your two gay siblings and apparently blinded parents. You really think they are way better than what I am suggesting. If you want your lips and jaw intact, shut your mouth. You have no say in a relationship when you two haven't settled for a good one. The Adams are helping us without harm and the only exchange they are seeking is for Enid to move to their pack. They are prepared for everything and Wednesday's her mate. I don't see the problem with that. Ralph scanned the raven. Enid hasn't imprinted her yet. If you're thinking of running Enid away from me, the papers have already been processed. Wednesday stoically vied. She doesn't need the introduction and the approval of her mate to this pack. It takes less than a year to have the transferring method approved. What have you processed in days? You're seeking the agreement of the other states connected to us. Do not underestimate the number of connections our family has. It wouldn't take me months to have it done, Ralph. Esther had pledged an end to the authority she had over Enid. All of them looked at Esther and then at Murray. Murray might have respectfully served as the head, but Esther is the one that handled your family's status for decades. Either way, both of their consent has been approved as Enid sealed the same agreement with her father. Ralph conveyed his odium by flaring his nostrils. Approved doesn't mean it cannot be rescinded. Mine is blood-barred. Esther converges. A smidgen of interval in the process with the blood deal will mean we are placing up war against their clan. Weston glowered at his brother. You heard that. Now stop with your bullshit. Your pride isn't worth sparking a fight. We'll see about that. Ralph, Murray warned. Don't make me put a heavier punishment on you. Gomez clears her throat, lifting his sleeve to peek at his watch. The tension is delightful, I highly commend. It was a delight to have an awful encounter with your sons, Murray and Esther. But it's about time we proceed to other matters. Morticia and I will be attending an occasion this evening. I suggest we wrap this up. It is an auction, dear, Morticia cut to Ralph for his suspicious gaze. It's a lovely event. We'll be donating a few rare relics for bidding that will then be given to charity. Esther forced a repentant smile. Won't you be having dinner before going? We'll be having dinner after the event. It's a rainy day and we expect the road to be jammed with traffic. It'll be heavier if we wait. Wednesday answers. You're coming with us, dearest. No, Wednesday kept to herself, but craned her head to agree with her mother. Yes, we shall be going. Till next time, she heard her father say. Wednesday felt every step they take inside the house heavy. It's raining and they are in San Francisco. 
What's next in the vision? No, there shouldn't be next, there wouldn't be next time she had it all planned out. They just have to exit, inhale the Petrica and travel back home. The goosebump on her skin prickles her. She'll be back home, not alone. Not alone, she's with Enid and everything went well. If they could just go, step outside, drive home. Drive to their sanctuary. Wait. Wednesday sternly twisted her heels, hands tightening in the hold she has on Enid. James ran, handing the blonde one of his accessories. Take care. He whispered and hugged his sister. Wednesday felt the trembling only subside as they entered the car. Safe? It's safe. Enid's safe. It's not now. Wednesday fixes the reading glass on the bridge of her nose. Checking for the last time the document she has sent. She and Jeremy have been exchanging emails for clarification. They were thorough in detail, not wanting to mess up the simple construction of the file to be easily understood, as there is medical jargon added in a few slides. She separated a page for the description of words she thought would confuse them. Are you done? Enid's hand roamed in her back and the brunette relaxed in the warmness it oozed. She sank into the side as Enid naturally laid her chin on the crown of her head. I'm checking it for the last time to make sure everything is fine. You've done well, Enid cooed. That's enough for the day. Enid patted her as a sign before detaching, grabbing Wednesday by the waist to urge her to stand. The blonde's hand then worked on removing the paper the raven was holding, putting it down on one of the planes supporting the vase in the hall they began to stride in. Next was Wednesday's phone being pocketed by Enid's orange bell-bottom pants. Wednesday gave a probing glance. Completely baffled as they entered her room and was met by her wolf grinning. What is it? Your parents are gone. Enid paused. I mean not dead obviously, they are out. Like out. Oh, that didn't sound right either. They went away for a while. Like they. Attended an auction. Wednesday continued. Yes. Auction. Charity auction. Wednesday leaned her back to the door. Eyeing Enid who's moment by moment averting her gaze only to return with confidence seething out gradually on her sapphire hue. If you want we can take a little break. You've been busy with everything, Anne, your parents are attending a charity auction, which is nice. Totally. Beneficial. Helpful. Things with them by the way. I sent him off so he could take a little breather too. He's been spending time with us and sharing the stress. Wednesday removes her glass, folding it and sliding it inside her pocket. Whatever they offer to bid on that charity, they'll buy it themselves. Right, Enid purses her lips, hands now on the back of her hips. That's cool. Enid. Yes? She expectedly asked. You're saying we are alone, 
Wednesday hauled herself to stand, what I am not getting is the significance of it. Wednesday was genuinely confused, but stayed forbearing. The blonde wets her lips. Her ear turned a deep scarlet. A subtle huff released on her nose. Are you really not getting whatever I'm implying here? No, Wednesday replies. We, we are alone. I'm aware. And we can maybe. Maybe. Enid pouted slightly, her forehead colliding with the raven's shoulder. Nuzzling herself to the brunette's throat. Comfortable yet clearly defeated. Never mind that. Wednesday enfolds her left arm to Enid's, legs bending as she scoops the shallow depression on the back of the blonde's knee and lifts her. Between the two of us, I thought I was the less vocal. She props the blonde down her cleared table, hands resting on the side. I am not taking a never mind that for a clarification. What is it that you want? She carefully brought it about. We haven't been spending a lot of time together. Wednesday understandingly conforms. They were too busy following their plan, from talking about it to the Adams up to having various objectives laid with goals paired with time frames. Plus Enid's brothers were constantly causing different types of interruptions in the mansion. We haven't. I missed you, Wens. Enid avowed. And I've been meaning not to sound or act too clingy because what we are doing is needed, but I honestly, genuinely. Have been wanting to kiss you, and I've been hinting we could maybe have some time alone together since you're done, for the day totally forgetting you're not familiar with this type of cues, or maybe you're getting what I mean, because I did drag you in this room and kept on embarrassingly repeating myself. Do you want to indirectly turn me down? I don't know, but that's okay too baby you can rest. If you're not in the mood. Wednesday proves to her she was in fact in that mood, as she dipped affectionately, with no rush in connecting their lips. The problems left for the flowers in the vases to read in the hall. Her mind vacationed on this sunny cluster of a person blabbering her concern. You are my rest, loose M.I.A. They parted with their foreheads touching. Enid smiled fondly, holding Wednesday's head as she tilted hers at an angle for another kiss. Wednesday's eyes were shut and her hands remained on the table, her body leaning towards the blonde. Enid was slow and tender with her movements, taking her time into nipping the bottom and upper lips of the brunette. Her fingers are paralyzed on Wednesday's nape, the other grasping the raven's knitted cardigan. It tasted as if the ripest, sweetest reward the Wednesday had earned. She wrapped both of the blonde's legs to her hips, arms sustaining Enid's weight as she sauntered into their bed. They relocated without breaking the connection, enjoying the supple mattress and satiny covers of the pillow. Enid's assiduous with everything, different from their other kisses. She wasn't in a rush, her kisses not as sloppy and filled with eagerness. When they scanned one another for a moment to split and breathe, Wednesday felt her bones, her muscles, her organs, every single part of her mellow out. She didn't blink, 
memorizing Enid as if she wasn't able to identify the locations of freckles easily as she did with the constellations of stars, her cheeks wiped on her favorite rose pink blush, eyelids dyed blue and slim red. Wednesday smiled. Only for Enid. A chuckle that had barely climbed on her throat arrived as the blonde pressed a finger on her dimple in distraction. Enid giggled softly and inclined to kiss on the shallow depth of the dimple and then back to Wednesday's lips smudged on her flavoured lipstick. Gosh, you're so cute, Willa. Whatever abomination you say. Wednesday's cardigan was discarded on an empty spot before she lay back down for Enid to sit on her thighs, the blonde's legs bent to the side. I love you, Enid. Have I told you that before? Amusement fueled Wednesday whole, maneuvering Enid's chin as she observed the canines started protruding in their honed glory. She inserted her thumb, feeling the sharpness of the tips. And in another surprising wonder, she noticed the she-wolf's eyes are red mixing with blue except it doesn't blend. The combination remained like oil and water in the form of shaken or swayed. It was enchanting. Cue Hermosa. Enid whined and nosed the crook of her neck, Wednesday felt her breathing near a vein. Muttering inaudible words as the sharpness grazes her skin. Greek? Are you going to mark me? Wednesday cups the back of the blonde's head, not pushing or pulling, just scraping her prints to brush the scalp in a soothing stir. You can do it, loose MIA. I'm all yours. The pain of the teeth breaking into her skin was welcomed with ease. Wednesday was no stranger to being inflicted with physical aches. Her flesh barely protested with the intrusion of the sharp teeth. She was, however, a stranger to being inundated with Enid's tears soaking her along with the blood that rushes out. Wednesday bit back a groan at the unexpected spike. It felt as if the fangs had elongated twice longer, and a vibration of purr was released tranquilizing and lessening the reaction. It didn't stop even when the pool had wooed more blood. It was done along with a light tickle of tongue swiping to clean the imprint. She let the blonde seemingly fixate on locking her down in place to finish. Enid contentedly slumped on her after, cheeks now resting on her collarbone. Purring for minutes even as the pain subsided. Wednesday desperately wants to see Enid's face, ask her about what she's feeling, talk to her about certain matters. But she submitted to the silence, staring at the ceiling with the thought of being owned by her wolf. Wednesday felt complete in every way possible. Wednesday, Enid stirred. The raven anticipated the brightest smile and the words of her being owned to be uttered in vim, she's Enid's. She's now branded as her mate, ingrained by her wolfish feature to claim. She has counted on that, on the possessive statements. She wasn't expecting to be looked up with full pastel admiration instead. Warm tips on her jaw as she looked down, a profound devout of affection in Enid's raspy tone telling her, Sigma. Wednesday doesn't speak Greek. She doesn't. And yet, 
she didn't need a translation for her to understand. Chapter 29, A Watched Pot Never Boils We should redecorate the room, Enid suggested, sipping a coffee on the small ivory table that is accommodating a maximum of four chairs. They both have loaded their luggage, ready for their getaway to New Jersey. They plan to leave at night as Gomez and Morticia are still resting after coming home past midnight in the crack of the sun's shell the day before. Presumably late from chattering with other people that had joined for the bidding charity they monopolized. How would you want the room to be, loose MIA? Enid pondered on the interior, comparable to the inside of a box of matches because of its pitch darkness. Can I make the glass tinted? So when the sun shines, we'll be blinded by the different colors of light. Enid laughs. Oftentimes she forgets just how Wednesday squints seeing a gaudy palette due to the toleration she has with the blonde. I don't think you'll like it if I change the color of specific items that you have. At least if it's only in your window, it would look aesthetically pleasing. If it's what you would like then proceed. Wednesday meekly responds. I don't mind having my monochromatic life to be bedazzled with your flamboyance. The hot liquid is bittersweet on Enid's tongue. Not as dark as Wednesday's preferred flavor with no milk and barely any sugar. Enid winced at trying the Raven's mug a while ago, the insides of her mouth were scalded with the strong flavor of beans. The type of coffee would keep one possibly awake for days. One of the housekeepers brought a tray, on top was a kettle and two cups. Conscientiously placing them on the table. Have they aroused? Wednesday asked. Talking about the possible owners of the additional beverages. Sigh, senorita. How unwelcoming the weather is. I love to be awakened by thunder, dark clouds, and your everlasting magnificence, querida, they heard Gomez not from afar. Where are our beasts? Oh, there they are, Miss Hege's Amodas. Enid suppressed her amusement with Wednesday's pellucid repugnance. Enid and I expected the two of you to rest till noon. Gracias, Merlita. You may now go, Morticia speaks to the housekeeper, before they occupy the remaining seat. The four of them attentively waited until they were left. Your father had stumbled on something important. We believed you might want to take a look as early as possible. It must have been that important just for them to wake up earlier than intended. We have been wanting to tell you that in our search for spells in the library, I found Eleanor's diary in one of the guarded compartments. Gomez handed it to Enid as he sat beside her at the rounded table. The hardcover was leather and the lock was painted gold. The pigments are fading, scraped, and old over time. Take a look inside. It's unlocked. Enid mentioned, lifting the cover an inch. We have read it on our way here. It's mostly about Paul. We concluded it was written after their divorce. Take your time browsing. 
It's better to see the contents than for us to summarize. Gomez poured Morticia and himself a drink. Eleanor didn't write Bidet, her entries are months and years apart. Enid adjusted closer to the goth so they could read synchronously. She began tracing the letters written in cool pen. Still fascinated by having to read a personal possession of someone in search of truth. Eleanor's a shapeshifter. Morticia delivers specifically for Enid. It is vital to know just so you could understand the majority of what she says. Enid stroked the front dedication page. The clean handwriting of Eleanor voicing a narrator on their ears. This journal is dedicated to Paul. The man with green eyes. Olive fins. Emerald tail. It is far too cruel that the color you are associated with is everywhere. This journal is also dedicated to me, Eleanor Adams, and to every person I will become just to see you. The 5th of December, 1932. Paul went to the market today. I have never taken it for granted to see him every morning yet my privilege had been withdrawn. He wore a full tuxedo, hands gloved, hat matching his polished brown shoe. He was able to turn at least four women's heads without using his necklace and his head down. I will try to be one of the vendors. Perhaps I could sell him his favorite oranges, see his face gloom by the shade of the hat. Cheer him up with a plastic of his favorites. I didn't follow him to his street. I wonder if his eyes are red-rimmed. Would it be too selfish for me to wish it was? The 23rd of August, 1932. I saw him once on the 13th of June, but he did not walk my way. Had he recognized my disguise? I made use of the face of my distant friend, the one I told him that lives in Spain. He never met her, and neither did I for years. If he did, he made it not evident that he noticed. Hopefully, it is a coincidence. Tomorrow, I will try again. And then to the other day. Then the next. Tirelessly. Incessantly. If you will ever read this, Paul, I want you to know I will make every day about you. The 9th of April, 1932. He grew his hair. Paul used to have it short, always. I learned how to trim it for him, every month I cut his hair twice. He never grew it long for it interrupts the way he swims in the vastness of the sea. It could be he would not be coming back to it after what happened. He still looks well with his sideburns touching his ear. I never saw him visit a salon. For whatever reason, I do not wish to indulge myself to think. I'll leave it to the thought that it was because his preference had changed. Like any other person does. The 10th of October, 1932. Was I making myself obvious by not making Paul pay for the flowers he bought? I hope not. I did not meet his gaze. It had been long since I last did, it wasn't a pleasant occurrence. Divorce was never won. Even if I wish I did, I found out I couldn't.
If I've seen it again, the pastel green surrounding his pupils, I'm afraid he'll recognize the same look I gave him on the days we were together. The 16th of January, 1933. Becoming an old man had made it apparent to me that bones are weakening in structure and muscles are not as strong as I shifted. It was a new experience. A deeper understanding of aged people. I had wrecked my brain to think of a less suspicious neighbor. One that wouldn't be judged to live alone and reside in such an amicable avenue. That is how I ended up shape-shifting as Albert. I learned how to bake for the holidays. I handed it out with my cane, one time it fell on my grasp on the new year, as my 70-year-old hand trembled. It was worth it to have it redone, it was for Paul. He never brought with him anyone to the house. He spent the holidays by himself. I am still torn between being sad because he is alone and being happy because he is. The 2nd of July, 1933. He usually mows his lawn. I gave him seeds to plant and taught him how to take care of them. It should all bloom this spring. A part of me would treasure the fantasy that I built a garden with him at the start of this year, in front of the house standing 40 feet away from mine. Will there come a day I could call it ours? I could probably do it. And he'll smile with his teeth all out, allowing me in the breadth of that lawn, but me in the shape of an old man with a name I had gotten from my professor. Not Eleanor. I don't think Paul will let in Eleanor. The 4th of November, 1933. His adoration for children never left. I sat with him and shyly offered candy in the park. He accepted it with a smile I rarely see on his face erased from emotions for the months I observed. It was the shortest interaction I had ever made as he talked and said, you shouldn't be alone. I ran back to the other kids, turned my head and he was gone off the bench, kicking a pebble in the side of the road as he went on with his day. It was ironic to hear the line from him. After all, he was the reason I was. The 28th of June, 1933. Cassandra was the name of the woman he first brought to the house. I reminisced about Paul's old stories to pursue a name and have it attached with familiarity. A friend, cousin, classmate. It was new. She was new. He has never mentioned such a name before, but she looked almost identical to me. Is it my eyes blurring and replacing? Cassandra has the same short hair, a mole below the right eye, and is estimated an inch shorter. It doesn't matter, as long as she flees the house every night instead of staying. If one day she does, she most likely will. The 8th of February, 1933. I applied as his solicitor, which lasted only a week as he was transferred to a different company. I was able to spend a whole day near Paul in an enclosed space. I had dwelled more into that than the teasings they had for the two, Cassandra and Paul. Cassandra was his office mate. 
they could have met inside the facility. I never had gotten to the extent of spending time with him inside his workspace until recently. Their co-workers had been hinting for them to get together. She was a sweet person. It is frustrating how I couldn't hate her for such a fact. He changed his usual perfume. Cassandra once told him she likes it. He began to use it more often. The 26th of December, 1933. His plants died as how it normally happens in winter. Next year I was thinking of giving a livelier batch of seeds, as months ago it had sprouted along our neighbor's praises. This year's holiday, I was invited inside the house by Cassandra. I handed them warm cupcakes, and Paul said I had gotten even better at baking. I should learn how to grill steaks instead, that would be more of an old man activity than this. The Christmas tree inside the house had been decorated with garlands, poinsettia, wreaths, and ornaments that some had glitters. They made the color themed red. While Paul used to associate it with my hair, Cassandra said it was her favorite color. Which of which would make seeing the shade first enter his mind? The 17th of March, 1934. They moved to the countryside. Paul bought the land where only countable people reside. Everyone else knows each other, no resident wants to sell theirs, I entered as the gardener instead. I learned how to classify plants, tricks into styling them, strategies in making them grow. There was a time, they both had walked on the path of Daisy, a shy blush on both of their cheeks. Their pinky skimmed for a wink and excused the pollen for their ruined moment as I coughed. They moved away and I continued layering the bushes. I had shoveled filth and nosed my way through the rocks, digging, jabbing, but there wasn't any gem. Mayhaps it has already been found. The 13th of July, 1934. Paul kneeled, a box in his hand and a smile on his lips. It was June when he proposed to me, it was July for Cassandra. We clapped along with the others, the maids, servers, driver, chefs, guards, and their invited neighbors. It was a small celebration. I bought them a gift, one that might have been too fancy for a gardener to afford. I told them I had other jobs and they did not question me. I walked in the mirror this evening, my calloused hand washing my face with the cold water over the sink. I broke the mirror that showed a person's reflection before I realized it was a stranger I coppered. There wasn't a shattered glass that had pierced me sharper than being handed their wedding invitation. Should I go? I'm not looking forward to anything but the numbing sensations. I probably should though. Where else would I go when Paul's here? The 11th of October, 1938. Today I was Monet's disciple. I realized why painters squeeze tubes of green for the skin, why there are red in the skies, and why there are oranges in water. Oftentimes there are so much more colors than what we assume an existence has when put onto canvas. It's a dissimilar reality. Their firstborn child was named Ellie.
I painted her smile as sweet as the peach sold on Furuyama. She is two years old. An altruistic child. Cassandra's been pregnant for five months. Next year, they said they'd hire me again when Elliot's here, their son. I do not think I could deny the request. The 18th of March, 1940. Helen died. I did not attend, nevertheless, I made sure Paul knew. It is not as if I have shared hate for Helen, it's an empty casket, and I did not see the purpose of mourning for a lost soul and a lost body. They said she lived on that island and the surfers had reported seeing someone jumping off the tall cliff on the far side of the mountain. Officials were not able to see anyone floating. They searched for a whole year until her case was forced closed by the Adams for respect. Paul did not go, but he visited the island alone. He prayed twice. One for Oliver, one for Helen. The 1st of January, 1950. Stars had been covered by the aerial display. Scattered colors explode leaving embers that vanish into thin air. Fireworks are such a beautiful human creation. Paul's kids adore it. He carried his youngest on his shoulders, pointing out the predicted blasts. I pointed out the next as if I stood next to them before I realized what I had been doing. There are at least five other families next to them, and none of which was me. I made the dirt my bed, and put my hand over my eyes as I listened to the shush flea, the eruption that shakes my ears, and the far laughter. The ground remained still as the sky tilted. I was the ground, everyone else was the sky. The 7th of June, 1956. I went back to the manor. Lighted all other candles as ours burned in pitch black. I contemplated blaming him for failing. For us to end up the same. But I recalled his smile, his voice stressing over his hard-headed kids. His veiny hands touched Cassandra, as if she was frangible. He did not exactly fail. He has a family. A healthy one even. I watched him create it. It could have been easier if he didn't call Cassandra, as Elle pulling it over her second name Ella. He uses it on me so why would she do the same for her? Over the years, he slipped by saying my name Eleanor on some random days, mostly when he was drunk. Calling me over his balcony, with his soberness stolen by the beer. The 6th of September, 1974. I chimed the brass bell, calling the attention of everyone as I drove and pulled over to a park. The chocolate-flavored ice cream had sold out faster than the others. His son and daughter came to me, and politeness has been evident in the way they spoke. They had been raised well. Paul paid for it. He called over them, saying they should watch over their mom. He opened his wallet, folded his bills, and said a simple thank you. I decided to look at him. Last time I kept on chanting. He knew me. 
He recognized me and I knew by the way he wasn't surprised that all these years, he saw right through every person I acted to be. Until now I wonder if it was the right thing not to say anything back as I packed and moved. When I resided in another country, I tried to shift back to the Eleanor I was. I couldn't. There are days I draw, days I go sell on the market, days my back aches as a muscle memory of being Albert, days I invent cakes, and days I stayed over planes of greenery thinking of using a latex glove to fix the thorns and clean the messy tangled roots. There is no way I could go back. I made more than half of my life ridding myself of how to make me a part of Paul's. The 3rd of July, 1982. I uttered his name today. Talked to him for the last decades that I did not. He remained silent as I sat next to his carved name. Still. Grey. Cold. I lost count of the grieving tears I poured tirelessly and incessantly. But I counted the days to make sure Paul's tomb remained clean. The 5th of December, 1990. They said a watched pot never boils, but I had flipped over this over and over knowing the time went fast. I should have written every day, at the very least, every month. Memories are withering as quickly as every cherry plucked on top of the black forest gatto on birthdays. I turned 81 today. I will not be able to write for the upcoming years bedridden in the softness of my rocking chair. Assisted by the nurses of this home care. They call me Grandmother Makey. One nurse had it shortcut into Mac. He said I should put an end to writing this. And I thought it should end where it started. This journal is dedicated to Paul. The man with green eyes. Olive fins. Emerald tail. I remember you as clear as day. This journal is also dedicated to Eleanor Adams, the person I lost just to see him. Enid closes it heavily. An understanding silence rested on them, close to being sentimental. It felt personal to read all the entries, but in each one fibs a speck of hints. Setting aside Eleanor and Paul's relationship, it was mentioned Helen stuck around the island until it drove her to madness, Eleanor knew by the black smoke that they had also failed, she knew about it because she learned it happened to Oliver and Helen as well. Failing to break the curse causes the black mist. Wednesday busted their speechlessness. It is more than that M.I. Pequina Pesadilla, Gomez dragged his chair closer, putting his elbows to the table. Oliver wanted it to be Helen, and he asked Paul to make it possible. Every death of a raven's beloved had been caused by a natural death not inflicted by the raven itself. Oliver thinks that could break the curse by making his death intentional because that's what they think the pattern is. Pattern. The pattern they have all been trying to figure out. Your father meant that Goody and the raven that followed had failed but had a normal grey. On the other hand, those two pairs before you had black ones. They had actually done something to try. However, 
their interruption for messing with their supposed fate fell flat. Helen had gone insane and Eleanor lost herself. They resulted in a far worse ending. The blonde raised her query, is Paul marrying someone else his way to break what he thinks the pattern is? I believe it is not. Paul recognizes Eleanor no matter the shape she's in, Wednesday likewise answers Enid. He knows she can shapeshift. It would be natural to be skeptical that every person he gets to interact with he'll analyze. His real intention was what I first had, to give you a chance to live your life differently away from the curse. Evidently, he got a taste of his intention. It didn't work because Eleanor had been persistent in using her ability just to see him even after his marriage. He knew then that nothing would get her to stop. Enid realized, so he allowed her to linger. But how could he fall for someone else knowing Eleanor was with him all along? The black smoke could mean their ties were cut. He wasn't as attached to Eleanor as she was to him. Gomez grabs the journal. They were able to talk to Goody, that's what we'll also try to achieve. It might have taken them one shot to do so, as they only relied on one phrase she gave, break the pattern. We had prepared the rituals of what could make it possible. You should ask specifically what your ancestor meant. It wouldn't work by being intentionally killed, and it wouldn't work by getting away or having a different relationship. What then do they have to do? No matter how Wednesday could try to protect her from harm, a natural death will occur. Senora, why senor? The housekeeper came back, her hand empty from a tray but a paper. She apologetically stands on their side as she hands over whatever she's holding. Your secretary had been trying to contact the two of you as your flight to New Jersey had been adjusted. Adjusted how? Gomez read the printed tickets sent in an envelope. An hour from now? That cannot be. Why the change of time? We do not know, senor. We are not in a rush. Morticia splits in. It seems to be a situation within the airlines, senora. I could contact a personal pilot and rent our own plane. Gomez kindly considered. Return the tickets and have the refund shared with the others including Wednesday's driver. It is all over the news that aviation is experiencing a problem, Senor Gomez. If you do not wish to take the time that they offered, your desire to go abroad might be delayed not only for days, but weeks or months. The whole of California is said to be affected. That is strange. Enid's phone vibrated in her pocket angrily. She ignored the first ring letting it die down as they discussed. It continually pestered and for the third time, Wednesday had pointed it out. It could be an emergency. Enid fished it out, James' name flashing on top of his number. He had never been one to phone for an emergency. Hello. The sound of excessive ambient noise rushed out of the speaker. Machines, workers, paging announcements. Enid. 
His voice wavered and even without seeing him Enid knew he was rattled. Why aren't you answering? I'm sorry, I was in the middle of an important discussion. Why? Where are you? She asked in worry. What happened? Are you okay? He took the proper dose and the next, the next thing we knew he was convulsing. Mom's furious. She's so furious, all our furniture is practically broken. I was the only one that, that tried to run him here. You have to calm down, I can't understand you. I, I am so sorry. I don't know what to do, Ralph, they are on your way I tried to stop them, but I have to go with Dad. What? I'm his son, yes, I, I am of legal age I can handle the papers. Can I see him? Please him. What happened to Dad? Who's on their way? James was in shambles. His hiccups cut his words, his disarray would make the volume of the call low in quality. Mom. She's on the way with the others. He breathed out and cried. God, Enid, they are taking you back. They locked the airports why you can't go. I'm so sorry I really tried to convince. What? Her voice broke into the tiniest whisper. Taking her back. Why would they take her back? Dad's D-dead. The Adams that were hearing the conversation turned on her with their surprised expression while Enid felt her whole body freeze. Wednesday untangled the blonde's finger from the phone, planning to speak on her behalf. Hand it over, loose MIA. T they re-blaming your family, Wednesday. His voice became more rattled. They said your potion killed him. Chapter 30, Bury the King, Shovel the Queen. The call abruptly ended. The blonde visibly shaken from the news, Gomez slammed his hand on the table snapping their attention. Why numbers tenemos QIR change your attire, do not even bother with your belongings, we'll retrieve them after. Realizing what they first heard from James, the Sinclairs are on their way to them and not to Murray. They are getting Enid back. Thing, inform the driver and get the car ready. Wednesday led Enid back to their room. Their footsteps were quick as they stripped off their pyjamas and rummaged into the cabinets to change into other clothes. Wednesday grabbed Enid's hand as they practically jogged down the stairs. Coranley, poor Dios. Shouted Wednesday, waiting for Morticia and Gomez. She slipped into her shoe, her pointer finger shaking as she positioned it in her Achilles heel to easily wear the brown leather. She grabbed spare keys, halting as they heard a scream outside from one of the maids, elevated, a warning of something foreboding. The first stench of blood dropped on the ground followed by thumps of bodies unmistakably from the guards. Heavy footsteps echo fast as the doors are all forced open. Wednesday pulled out sharpened silvers from her pocket, letting it rain on the army of men breaking into the living room. The burning flesh stank, but they kept on coming, more rushing in as the front line cried. 
Wednesday wasn't able to notice a small glass tube attached with a needle soaring near them. Enid, who was on the verge of shifting, gasped on her side. Violet liquid rushed its way inside her pierced thighs adhered on her containing wolfsbane. Wolfsbane. Used to adverse wolf's ability to transform by knocking them unconscious and weak. Wednesday pulled it out before the last drop of the copious amount entered the blonde's bloodstream. The mad veins glowed in the shade of an angry bruise. Wednesday guiltily brushed it off, propelling Enid to duck down and move as Gomez and Morticia were able to take down more and gave them the chance to flee. Three of their guards rushed to cover them. The blonde grunts as she fights the side effects as they were left alone, the guards blocking those that had caught up. It's okay, it's okay, appurance, loose MIA. We must move. Enid's weight shifted, a vase falling as it swayed on the sudden clash of meeting Enid's body. Wednesday catches her on time to assist in making her sit, leaning her against the wall and preparing to carry her out. You wench. A familiar voice cursed. You're the reason this happened. Dad would have lived longer if it wasn't for you. Sharp edges welcomed her back as Wednesday was thrown to where the broken pieces lay. Her head bounced as it was pinned down harshly, Ralph wrapping his hands on. Her neck with all his claws out. Her face filled in the compressed blood obscured to flow. I'm going to kill you and make it easier for the devil to slave the shit out of you, Adams. Wednesday cupped the side of her pants, but the movement was noticed, Ralph snarled and pinned it down, completely forgetting Wednesday's other hand that had reached out for a part of a broken vase. She grabs it and takes advantage of the distraction, piercing it directly into his eye. Blood trickled in her palm's creases. She freed herself from the hold, groaning as she felt the sharp cuts that had punctured her back react with every movement. Ah! Fuck! He angrily yelled. My eyes! Fuck! Fuck you, Wednesday Adams! I knew from the start you're an advocate of misfortune. Wednesday was only trying to help Dash. Helped in what Enid? Dad's fucking dead and all of this is on her. The brunette dodges his claws, the walls gritting behind her. He stumbled as she kicked him, aiming straight at his abdomen. It only caused him a grunt before plunging at her again. Once we have Enid back, I'm going to make sure your pathetic excuse of a preferred gender would be turned down. I'll make sure she'll know how different and so much better it is to be with a man. Oh, it is way more than what you can only give her, the pleasure of your richness. He was undeniably fast, but so was Wednesday pulling the dagger, she was denied just a second ago, and impaling it into his feet, force enough to drive it down. Wednesday felt it bending as the tip plunged to the pavement. She yanked it out, stood hunched, and held herself back when she noticed his mocking grin. What now? Trying to wipe us all, you murderer. More of his curses were cut as his head loosely dropped. His temple met another porcelain Enid was holding.
The blonde had tears wetting more of her cheeks. Sob racking her chest as he watches him fall, Wednesday pushes her heel to prevent Enid, who's readying to strike again. Her eyes were red, wrath fueling her adrenaline. Let go of me. Enid. Enid. We cannot waste time. He's not worth the delay let us go, Wednesday ushered, emptying Enid's hand. Whatever happened to your father we will figure out why, but we have to leave first. Loose MIA poor favor. Enid took shallow puffs. Half the broken white pot tossed. I'm. You're fine, I am fine. That's the only truth. Wednesday assured her, hand grasping Enid's as they continued to go to the garage wishing that it wasn't part of the house that had been trespassed. It wasn't. Thing waited for them, frantic as he waved inside the backseat. W what about your parents? They will follow us. There are plenty of buttons trained for the guards to push when needing backup. They were trained to push it first and foremost in case this happens. It wouldn't take long for more people to come in here. The garage has a lot of emergency cars. Wednesday tucks Enid in the seatbelt, breathing heavily on her own as her injuries throbbed. Her ears started to ring. She did not lean on her seat, prompting in her arms instead, one extended holding tightly to the passenger seat for support. They were able to pass by the gates not without bodies rolling in the windshield and both of the side mirrors hardly sticking. How many minutes have passed? Enid asked. Sweat summoned and rolled on Wednesday's forehead, her tongue and lips drying at the overwhelming noises and motions worsening her concussion. She blinks repeatedly trying to read her watch. You're hurt. Puxley and I played as rough as this. She downplayed, Enid was not in the right position to worry about her wounds. Twenty minutes, we have time to reach the airport. The blonde is barely functioning. Barely there in the actuality that she almost just killed her brother when Murray had just died. Shit. Enid had grabbed her close, one arm tight on her waist, one on the back of Wednesday's bleeding head as the car was violently hit. It happened twice. Enid prevented her from gliding in any direction with the help of the belt and the firm unrelenting hold. You okay? Why yes, the smell of burnt and screeching tires increased. Their driver accelerated and Wednesday turned to see the car chasing them, the lightly tinted window uncovered Mateo, driving with Esther preparing to pull out a gun, aiming for the wheel. Switch lane. Wednesday mandates. They took over another car, driving over the warning sign on a road as they tried to get away from the traffic. Another car tried to hit them on the left. The front of them slowed down and Wednesday's chest roared in fear as she realized almost every lane on the back and a few in front had them as the target. This was the whole California pack ordered by the head. Their plate number is flashing, warning on their phones and the screens of the buildings. Their exact location is pinned moving rapidly at the mark traced. 
Wednesday swallowed the travelling bile and nausea. Dizziness doubling her vision. Warm hands sustain her head steady. Stop moving, Wednesday. The roads were blocked by warnings, all of which flew as they were met by the bumper. Arch? Go, go to that arch, sir. We can speed up more when we go out. Of the main roads. They pivoted out of the central highway, entering an isolated road surrounded by trees. One brutal collision from an unexpected car facing their way sent them spiraling. Wednesday had bounced back into different paths. She made use of her arms as a shield, passing out temporarily as she felt her forearms break, one side of her shoulders dislocating. She wakes up being dragged. The car was upside down and wrecked. The petrol and gas leaking prominent. She released a cry at the broken pieces on her back dug into her skin as she was hollowed outside the broken window. Every nerve pulsing at the ache. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so so sorry. Droplets of water started hitting her face. She opened her eyes, some of it from Enid, the majority from the sky. I know it hurts, baby. I know, I know, I'm sorry. She was helped to be hoisted up by Enid. The cars chasing them hadn't been far, and they soon heard the horns blaring. Their driver held Thing. Run. Thing and I will try to take down as much as we can manage. The two of them did. Wednesday fought off the magnetic force of a void inking its way into the corners of her eyes. It's inevitable. It's not. It's inevitable. It's not. That kept on alternating on the brink of her blind battle as her shoes ran after another. The crisp leaves had been softening at the dampness of the drizzle tears of the clouds. The ground softens as it thirstily absorbs the water. She tries not to break down to the creeping dread as wings flapping come on the west side. The sparrows. Her soul squelched as it stepped into the mud. Brown and rich with grounded stones. The indistinct root with the disturbing sound of howls. The creeping skepticism in her veins, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. How could the potion kill Murray with the proper dosage? That is impossible. Unless, unless, that couldn't be. Abuela will not give the wrong one. Morticia would have known as well. She falters a little and it almost sends her down, but Enid was fast, holding her wrist and tugging her along. Her eyes shone with droplets of tears, and quivering lips turned to her with evident worry. Please, the blonde cracked in her constricted throat as she slowed her pace for the brunette. Just a little, I don't, Wednesday forced the void back to the corners, desperate, trying, everything else becoming nothing but a blurring sound and image. I don't want to go with them, Wens. Please. That should have been enough. It should have been enough to fuel her desire, but one damn rock had got her face planted first to kiss the ground. Her mind protested as her muscles slept limp, and her eyelids were open not more than a centimeter. Enid ungracefully gathered her back into her feet, anchoring her by her arms. 
They started slow with the lack of coordination she has, slow enough for them to wallow into the wet unforgiving land yet again. Packs of wolves snarled as they circled. She heard Enid complain before she was lifted without deliberation. Her chin was viciously controlled by a man. You cost a lot. Hard knuckles deteriorated the ringing as it met her cheeks. Her face spasms with pain and discomfort. Unlike you, apparently. Your dental gold looks more like rust. She spat the copper taste, unable to recover before she was slammed down, feeling a bone snap in her ribcage. Well, your corpse will get me diamonds instead. His fist was left in midair. Wednesday wasn't sure when he was laying beside her but he was, his face gashed with deep claws, opening the internal structures of his complexion. It was pure gore. More bodies hurled near her. A few mutter curses and groan, while the others have their eyes open staring wide into wherever they face. Dead? She cannot lift anything, not her nails, not her fingertips, not her brows. Paralyzed and nothing but useless. Not enough blood swimming inside of her. Fuck, I'm stopping. M mom. Don't, don't hurt her mom. Not Wednesday, not her too. Wednesday's lungs fought to vacuum a fraction of oxygen. Opening her eyes, inside she shattered down into trillions of micro-pieces, as Enid kneeled before all of them, begged on her knees for this all. Battered. Heaving as more of a lethal dose of wolfsbane was injected into her. Five men held her down. Stepping into her legs, all of her limbs held out of her control, her hair pulled cruelly from her scalp. You'll do whatever I'll tell you to. Let go of your gun first dash. Why would I do that? Enid clenches her jaw turning sideways as Esther fires once. Startled as the bullet got lost in the atmosphere. I said you will do whatever I tell you to. Not the other way around. You heard that. Enid nodded eagerly, her eyes closed. Behaving for once in the hold of the many. Anything. Just a stop. Enid, Wednesday choked on the blood that coursed from her mouth to her throat. Accidentally biting her tongue as her ribs shifted. Release her. Another loud bang had echoed and Wednesday had managed to force her eyes to open completely at the pained yelp and the objection of Enid's brothers calling her name. Her heart hammering loud as she collected herself to find Enid, slumped down the ground, one of her legs bent and stained with blood. You're not going near this witch. Stay at your place. Enid. Mom, what have you done? Don't make me turn the situation way worse, Weston. Go near your sister and I'll plant you one too. No one moves until I command. I am the head of Callie. And I am your mother. Esther squatted to face Wednesday, cocking the gun in her jaw. I can't believe how you've managed to play with our family and expect yourself to get away with it. 
If I was playing, you're dead before anyone else. Wednesday spat. Remove your ring, Enid. Esther orders, I's not leaving Wednesday. I'll count numbers and you know well I don't reach high. Give it to Mateo. If I don't get it in my palm before I end, I'm making sure another bullet is shot higher than where you've got yours. You do not wish to urge a war with us. I stand against my belief that we do not want anything to do with the family that killed the greatest head of California. Your family's reputation has been tarnished, we are the second largest state, united with more than what you think we have. You are a fool to think we wouldn't be able to find a way to be back. Esther laughs and shakes her head. Haven't you heard of your cost? If someone catches you dead in this land they'll have a bountiful reward. You desire to be deceased by many. This is me giving you mercy by enabling you one last time to leave this place and never to come back. I am not leaving Enid alone. Not in your state, not in your guidance. Mateo. Esther swings one of her arms with an open palm. Grin widened as she pinched the ring in her thumb and pointer, the black opal smeared with blood. Enid stared at her distantly, held by the same men. Tired, tensed, silently weeping. Enid has always been a good girl, Wednesday. I raised her since she was a toddler, a kid, a teen. Your months together aren't changing that. Esther's hand opened the pocket near Wednesday's breast, putting the circular jewellery inside of it. Keep it. If you're assuming you have been successful in making a rebel out of my daughter, I will prove you wrong. One guy forces Enid to open her eyes. Why don't you tell her yourself, Enid? She should go back to where she belongs just like you. You're not going anywhere outside the premises I permit and likewise, she's not allowed inside. I never belonged here. You belong here now, Enid Sinclair. To our pack. With your brothers. You are my youngest child, the last of the blood I made with Murray. You belong here and not to the joke of a family that made you feel emotionally one. They are freaks. More than papers, everything of you is related to us, and if it's going to take a bullet embedded in your mate to change that fact. No. Enid screamed, collapsing into their hold as she struggled with violent hiccups. No. Mom, no more. Don't Enid wailed as another loud bullet penetrated Zero as it was pointed away. Wednesday did nothing, unmoving, unmoved, everyone as tall as skyscrapers. Being as little as what one living in the drainage is. Suffering in the little corner, as it stinks of disposals of garbage replaced by bodies. The towers looked down on her leaving stamps on their shoes as her skull refused to crack. Her senses slowly fluctuated. Wednesday, a faint utterance had become loud that at one point she was sure it was in her ears, arms cradling her before she was separated and put back into the misery. She was called again. Lapsing from the first, 
distorting differently. Wednesday, she hears her father's broken voice pulling her from the nightmare. He gets near her and she glimpses around for an explanation. Everything is nothing but a blurry bare shape of greens and browns. Her skin was caked of blood on her back, aching bare limbs, her head throbbing along the remnants of memories sliding down the lane of her mind. It was real. All of it. It was real. All. Of. It. Hija, lo siento, Gomez said. Drenched and shivering. There was a twitch of his lips turning into a pitiful frown. Her mouth gape. They failed. She failed. Wednesday thinks she cried. Thinks she lashed out with the little energy she had. Her voice called out one name. Over and over and over and over until her head was pulled buried into the damp wool of Morticia's coat. Her call nothing but a broken song in the wind. White flashing blinding pain shoots to her the large gashes, to her head, to her limbs, it's in all of her. It's even in parts of her that weren't physically damaged. Carry her, Cuerdo. We'll be back here, my little viper. I will bring you back here with Enid. She didn't understand the whole sentences her mother and father were saying, but she knew they were back in the car, the way it was driven enough for them to wobble to every turn. Buenos tards, sigh, we will have the first touchdown in Mexico. Guide the pilot to the nearest hospital where we can land on the roof, my daughter, she needs medical attention. We don't have enough supplies, especially blood to return the amount she had lost. Then she was carried by Gomez, her face covered as they continued to stride, Adams. This way please, it all came into a blur. She was put down into a chair, and pushed into two wheels as they entered the inside of a plane that only her family occupied, emergency personnel crouched down to assess her. The knowing scent of bitter antiseptic dampened the cotton before her, as she was disposed of the clothes clinging tight smeared and blotted by blood, not all of which coming from hers. Wednesday pleaded into her bitten lips and persistent shaking head that they shouldn't leave just yet. Enid isn't with them. But the engine started, and her seat slightly jolted as they slowly took off. They slanted as their seat inclined, now hundreds of miles above the buildings and greens of the city. The sky was grey, the clouds were white. Turbulence caused by the storm was a constant reminder they were flying and leaving San Francisco. Wednesday stopped resisting the comforting offer of darkness, knowing fully well they wouldn't be able to fix what truly hurt, something broad and all too exhausting that cannot be sutured nor numbed by pills. Other than the gnawing vacancy was red rage. Boiling and raging with vengeance. The king was buried, Wednesday will make sure she'll shovel deeper for the queen.